You are listening to Alter Echo, a scripture and message podcast with pastors Andy Smith and Kim Kylo of St. John's Lutheran Church, ELCA, Lakeville, Minnesota. Thanks for joining us and worshiping with us. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Alter Echo Sunday Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Andy Smith, and this happens to be the weekend of April 22nd and 23rd. We are marching through this late winter, early springtime, and yet it feels like winter outside in Minnesota. So I do have a nice hot cup of double espresso here while I share in this sermon podcast with you. I hope you are all doing well in these post-Easter weeks. This coming weekend happens to be called Easter 3, the third Sunday after Easter for us. We count Easter Sunday as the first Sunday of Easter, of course, and then last week and this week are second and third. So we come to a famous story about uh, two fellows walking on the road at the end of the day on Easter Sunday, on that first Easter. And you'll hear it, and it'll be familiar to do it to you. It's called the Emmaus Road Story, or the Walk to Emmaus. And these men are downcast and forlorn because what they trusted in, what they believed in, what they finally put themselves into was the possibility that Jesus would be the Messiah. And at this point, it seems as though all hope is lost in that, that they haven't seen him. The rumors are all over the map on whether he is alive or still dead. And so here we are. So everyone, go ahead and grab your Bibles, if you would, if you'd like to. Otherwise, you can just listen. But we are in Luke this time, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. And these are verses 13 through 35. If you need to pause your podcast to get your Bible, go ahead and do that. And then we will now read the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. Now, on that same day, Easter Sunday, the first Easter, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? Jesus asked them, What things? They replied the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. 
Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things, and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, Jesus walked along as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Dear friends, this is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come to us on our roads, wherever we are. Perhaps this is your greatest promise to us and our greatest comfort, that you come to your beloved people even when we don't recognize it. Come to us now, Lord, and give us the time to realize that you are with us. We pray this now in faith, in whatever faith we have. We pray it in your name, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. I want to key just on one thing here right now, and it's verse 25, which I think sometimes we assign a real derogatory or negative feeling or emotion to. Jesus says to them, oh, how foolish you are. It's that word foolish, of course. It's such a shaming word in our culture. Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. That word slow, I think, is important to me today, and it might actually be a comforting word. We're not so quick on the uptake on all kinds of things. We are slow at understanding things. Our brains can't take in everything and, and compute immediately, like, uh, you know, like a computer can sometimes. We need time to factor in context and our own emotions and all kinds of angles on things. And when Jesus says how slow of heart you are, I think he's just telling the truth. I think he's just declaring to them what is actually happening and doesn't have any sense of shame to it at all. So let me share this with you today in our weekly men's group, which is called the Tuesday Morning Quarterbacks. After we spend just a few minutes every week talking about the important news of the world like sports <laughs> and then having a joke, I always ask for a volunteer to pray. Several of the guys are willing to do this, which I just absolutely love. 
One fellow in particular will, will take his turn, and at some point in his prayer, almost every single time, he will say something like this, Thank you, Lord, for your love and your patience with us. That prayer for God's patience has always struck me. From the first time he prayed it, I have never heard that prayed before in a prayer. Lord, be patient with us. <laughs> but it's so good, both as a prayer to God and as a prayer for us ourselves. It anticipates God's mercy and it also anticipates our willingness to keep trying, to keep living in faith, to keep trusting in God, which so often is such a fragile thing. Lord, thank you for your love and your patience with us. Well, I've entitled this sermon today, Letting Time Be On Our Side. And I just want you to imagine, I'm going to show this famous painting up on the wall on Sunday morning, but I just want you to imagine these two men walking along a dusty road as the sun is starting to go down on that first Easter Sunday and what they were feeling, all these emotions in their hearts, particularly disappointment. They said real plainly, we had hoped, you know, this was the one. We put our, our hope in, our, our energies, and we actually went along with it. And maybe they felt duped, maybe they felt dumb, maybe they felt like they had wasted time, you know, following this Jesus who was around for three years. At any rate, either way, they felt like time was something that was thrown away because they had gone there. They had done what, what Jesus asks us to do, to put our trust in him to put our trust in him long-term, on a daily basis. They had done it, and maybe they did feel completely duped by the whole thing. So on that painting that I'm going to show up on the wall, this famous painting, it's a warm, almost kind of a warm summer evening feel. These two men walking down the road under the trees, and here comes Jesus, the third person walking with them. And... He doesn't identify himself, and they don't recognize him. Their, their eyes are kept from recognizing him, whatever that means. They thought he was dead. He was in a little different form, probably, even as the resurrected Lord, <laughs> refreshed, renewed, not the person that they saw at the end if they followed him to the end, suffering, tortured, all of that. They couldn't imagine this. And they walked along and talked. And one of the things that I'm aware of is that as Jesus asked them what they were talking about and they said, aren't you the only one who doesn't know? He uncovered, unveiled, talked about, interpreted, it was the word in the Bible, all of the scriptures from the beginning to now, all of the Old Testament that prophesied this Messiah, he shared that with them, which must have taken some time. And they let time be on their side because they listened. They took it in. And they kept allowing him to be there with him, with them. And even at the end, maybe perhaps due to Jewish hospitality, you know, that you wouldn't let someone go off into the dark without a place to stay, but also maybe because something was happening inside of them, they asked him to stay with them. And he agreed. 
And that's when they gathered around that table and he broke bread with them. He had communion with them. And their eyes were opened and they understood finally who he was. Everything that he had shared, everything that he had said was part of part and parcel of the love of God. This grace around a table and people being nourished by both bread and wine, but also spiritual food came true and happened. And there it was. The epiphany occurred. They recognized Jesus. And he vanished because it was there. It was there in their minds. It was there in their reality. And they didn't need him there anymore. He had other places to go. He had already risen. And now they knew who he was. Time was on their side because they let their minds and their hearts take this all in little by little by little until finally they could make sense of it and trust it fully. I find just a tremendous amount of comfort in that. We live in a time where we don't want to take our time on anything. <laughs> Unless it's, I suppose, just a really good mountaintop experience and we don't want to let it go. But we want to move from one thing to the next. And maybe there's a sad, sad case for us there in that we never recognize God. We never recognize the deeper things of life because our, our minds and our hearts are thinking about getting on to the next thing. Even when we're talking with each other, we aren't listening so many times. We're just, we're just ready to formulate the next thought in our heads so that we can have a comeback. Happens all the time. So I want to tell you a couple of stories today. But as I do that, perhaps I'll just share what I think is the most comforting part of this story and it is in the context of the two men and Jesus taking their time and talking and making sense out of things. It's the fact that Jesus came to them whether they knew it or not. In this case, they didn't. But Jesus came to them. They did not recognize him. And he still gave to them all the gifts of heaven, all the gifts of God that were holy and needed and far beyond anything we can manufacture or get for ourselves. He came alongside when they least expected it, when they did not recognize him, and he was there ministering to them, saving them. How about all the times in our lives when we don't recognize God? He's there. How about all the people in our lives who we think don't recognize God or don't acknowledge God? He's there. This is so comforting, I think, in this story. And for us now to sit back and take our time thinking about this and starting to take it in matters. Two stories. Years ago, I was visiting a parishioner who was homebound, and every few months I took communion to her. And in those moments... I was met at the door by her husband, and he so graciously welcomed me in. And we talked a little bit in the little entryway, and then he ushered me into the front room of the house where she was sitting. And we stood and talked for a few minutes, the three of us, and then he excused himself every time. And she and I would talk a little longer, and then she would say, should we go into the kitchen for communion? <laughs> and I would say yes, and we did. And every one of those times was wonderful. We had communion together and prayed, and then I said goodbye, and I'll see you next time. Well, the last time I went to that couple's house before I left Red Wing, where I was serving at the time, to go to a different church, First Lutheran and Brainerd, 
I knocked on the door as I always did. He welcomed, welcomed me in as he always did. We did all the same things we always did. And then instead of excusing himself from the living room, he asked if he could join us for communion. And I said, of course, absolutely. You're always welcome to do that. And so we walked into the kitchen and sat around the table. And I spoke the words of institution. This is my body and blood given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, the full words of institution. And I shared communion with them, giving them the bread. This is my body given for you. This is Christ's blood shed for you. And each of them took it and we all ate and drank. And as soon as the fellow, the husband, set his cup down on the table, his head fell into his arms and he just wept. He cried. And it was, it was tears for minutes. And we just sat there and she didn't seem nonplussed at all. And then finally, he brought his head up and she said, Pastor, my husband hasn't had communion for 40 years. Think of all of the time that things churned in his heart and his mind. All kinds of questions or pain or guilt. All those unforgiven things in his life that he otherwise could have heard every week or every other week having communion or in our case, every couple of months. All of the pain of life, all of the wonderment and doubt, all those things that God embraces and wants to embrace from us, the questions, the doubt, the worries, the guilt, everything. God doesn't shoo us away at all. God doesn't shame us. But think of all that that came out in those tears, and he wept and wept and wept. And I wonder about the time that it took for him perhaps to let things roil around in his mind and body that finally came out where he recognized Jesus as the one who forgave him. Jesus was there. But was not Jesus there in all of those 40 years for him as well? What if we understood that time is on our side no matter what? That perhaps it takes us a lot longer to figure things out or to think through things. And perhaps we just need to hear once again that our trust is a gift, our faith is a gift from God to, to believe and trust that he is with us even when we don't think he is. Here's the second story. And I just this one has, has stuck with me for a while because it's so real, just as this last one was. A young college co-ed walked into her counselor's office and confessed that she didn't believe in God anymore. Her dad was a Lutheran pastor, and she'd been spoon-fed the gospel all her life. But now in college, of course, she was smarter than all this. Now she learned more about science. Now she believed in bright professors and loved discerning new knowledge and reason. Faith seemed to insult her intellect. When she got up to leave, the counselor said the only thing he should have said when she first sat down. Jenny, he said, God loves you even when you don't believe that God exists. <laughs> Tears filled her eyes. And she said, I know he does. There it is, folks. Time is on our side. 
the evolution of our minds, our lives, the things that fall into place as time goes on, instead of rushing through them, instead of shunning them, what is it for us as God's beloved people who God always loves whether we believe that God exists or not, whether we know he's there or not, how often do we simply need to be patient? It's hard. It's a virtue. But for us to pray, God, thank you for loving us and being patient with us is perhaps what takes us to moments finally of recognition when we see Jesus breaking his whole body and life for our sake. That is the gospel. Amen. And now God's word is alive in us again anew. And we get the blessing of being called to let it echo through us out into the world in which we live. Everyone, if you wish to give your offering now to support things like this podcast and the work and ministry of St. John's Church in Lakeville, Minnesota, I invite you to do that. Please go to our website at sjlcl.org. I'll repeat it, sjlcl.org. And up in the right-hand corner, you'll see a little button named Donate. Hit that button and you can give your offering to God and for the work of God in the world through this church in Lakeville, Minnesota. Thank you in advance for the gifts and the offerings that you give. And now as we go on our way, we are sent with the blessing of peace, the benediction. Dear friends, may the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face and the rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, till we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. God loves you, everyone. God be with you until next week.